0: Oh I tell you what it's it's been a been a week been a week but uh i um we we ended last week with uh, Galatians chapter four and um i i kind of alluded to this last week Galatians chapter three and Galatians chapter four. I felt like that I was being hit by a boxer I mean I felt like they were just working me over. How many know sometimes the word of God comes in and just kind of you feel like it just is working on you particularly and those two chapters uh as I was studying and as I was teaching those um they were they were just challenging and sometimes that happens uh but I told you last week I'm excited to get to Galatians chapter 5 because uh I like I like this uh where Paul take takes us and so we're taking this journey through Galatians and remember Uh, Last week in the end of chapter 4, we ended last week talking about Ishmael and Isaac. And Paul does a great uh, job of just showing us uh, what that is. And he's talking, he he even mentions it, I think, in the, I I believe it's verse 24, he says this is allegory. He's talking about, uh, he's looking at Ishmael and Isaac. One is Isaac being the promise of God and Ishmael being, um, you know, the child that, that was never, Supposed to happen, and because man stepped in, and I don't know about you. When God promises us something, and it doesn't go as fast as we think it should, we have a tendency to step in and kind of force God's hand. Anybody ever been there? All right, and I I kind of ended that last week talking about how oftentimes we have these illegitimate childs or, or or Ishmaels in our life that were never intended to be there, and. Um, He's alluding here at the end of Galatians chapter 4 talking about Ishmael being a symbol of the law. And uh, if you know anything about Galatians chapter 3 and 4, if you've been here in the last couple of weeks, is the law is like a mirror. When we compare ourselves to the Ten Commandments, when we compare ourselves to, or the Jewish people, they turned the Ten Commandments into 613 different laws. That's just our human nature. It's what we do. We we make things harder than what what they're what they're intended to be, but the Ten Commandments, when we look at them, when we compare our lives to the Ten Commandments, will never ever ever add up, because we we are in a fallen fallen world, and we we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's what Paul says, right? And so, and the other thing about the law is, if you've committed, if you've if you've lied. You've broken all the law, not just one. You've broken all of them. And so uh, Paul talks about that. If you if you haven't read Galatians chapter three and four, it it will challenge you. It will push you. Uh, It did me um, in comparison. But Isaac, I'm talking about the promise is as a picture of grace. So Ishmael's a picture of the law and Isaac being a picture of God's grace and what God intended for us was 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 grace and Paul's reaffirming the simplicity of the gospel. How many know the gospel is simple? What I like about Paul, what he does is uh, the Galatians are confused because what's happened, and if you, if you haven't been here, I'll give you a little background of what's happened, what often happened when Paul would preach somewhere, he, uh, people would be saved, and then he would move on to his next place. These people, these Jewish Christians would come behind, and they would say, you know what, Paul's preaching is right, but... You need to do this. You need to follow the rituals of the Jewish law. That means you should be circumcised. That means you should be on this diet. That means these certain things. And they would follow behind. And Paul is writing these letters back to the Galatians saying, hey, that's not what I preach to you. And so he, he combats that basically in the last two or three uh, chapters. If you go back and read that, you could do that. So the gospel is not about rules. It's not about uh, rituals. And it's not about regulation. And uh, I don't know about you, but that's freeing, and I, we're, we're, that's freeing, and we're going to get to that. Uh, it, it, the, the, the gospel is about Jesus and his grace, and how many are thankful for God's grace? Ain't None of us be in here. I know that's not good English. Ain't nobody be in here right now if it wasn't for God's grace, right? And so uh, what I like about this, chapter 5 starts, and if you if you need a heading, you can write this. Uh, it it just says, Christ has set us free. How many are glad to be free? Christ has set us free. Uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 1 says this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Uh the King James Version actually reads this: "Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage." What is he talking about there? Uh, the yoke of bondage. So Paul, he's borrowing this this terminology actually from Peter. Um, how many remember? I talked about this a couple weeks ago when in 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 Acts fifteen. You remember uh, that uh, Peter actually uses this regulation or uses the uh, He references to the rules and regulations of of Judaism. So years earlier, Paul was accused of cheap grace, right? I, I talked about that. So they asked Paul to come to Jerusalem. Remember we had the Antioch boys. That would be Paul and Barnabas. They were up here. They were the grace base. And then you had the Jerusalem boys, which were Peter, James, and John. James being... Uh, the half brother of Jesus not not John's brother he he had already uh been martyred so so and they were out of Jerusalem and there was a little bit of a I I'm not going to say it's a conflict but they they just weren't kind of seen eye to eye and so Peter and James and John asked asked Paul to come down and uh and so when he did he was summoned to appear before the church leaders there in Jerusalem and and if you go back to chapter 3 you could go back you could you can kind of read how some of that, he talks about that. He did it behind Paul. took They went behind closed doors. He didn't do it up here and just start calling names and, and saying bad things about Peter, James, and John and vice versa. They did it in love. How many know that sometimes if we have a conflict with someone, sometimes the best thing we can do is sit down and talk to them without a whole lot of other people? All right. So uh, there's some wisdom there. Uh, that's not even in my notes, but that was really good. All right. All um, right. So, so Paul is basically taking this, um, and and Peter he is protesting. Neither our fathers or ourselves were able to bear the yoke of Juda- Judaism. Like we could we couldn't do it. We could not keep the law. None of us. We tried. We we went to the festivals. We did all these things. We could not keep it within ourselves. So. This is what Peter says. So why and how can we expect the Gentiles to follow all of our rules that, that, that are grandfathered in, that we feel like are grandfathered in? And so here Paul is echoing Peter's message to the Galatians. He's, Paul's talking to the Galatians, not Peter. Um, but he's just echoing Peter's message there um, to don't put on this yoke that, that you don't have to carry how many like carrying extra weight around, right? I don't I don't think any of us want to put a, a backpack full of 45-pound weights and walk around. Some of you might, but if you do, I don't know, then, then that's on you, right? I don't want to. I don't want to do that. How many get tired when you go to the zoo and your kids are like, I'm tired, and they hop on your back, and you're like, oh, will you just walk because I don't want to have to carry you too, right? So Paul's, he's basically saying that. Why are you carrying this this extra burden that that you don't have to, Galatians? Listen, most of the people there in Galatia were Gentiles. Okay? They they didn't grow up in Judaism. So uh the yoke that Jesus bore on his shoulders on Calvary was sufficient. It covered it. It got it done. How many are thankful for that? Verse two says this: Look, I, Paul, say to you uh that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be. Of no advantage to you. So, if you add anything to the cross in an attempt to gain right standing with God, you missed it. That's just what he says. That's how strongly, uh, uh, you know, the Lord feels about the finished work of the cross and and he, of His Son. And that's what Paul's saying there. He's saying, listen, if you're adding to anything to the finished work of the cross, you're not right. If it's about rules, if it's about rituals, if it's about what you do, what you do to achieve, you're not talking about – you're obviously thinking that God's grace is not sufficient for you because you got to work it out, right? So, um, you know, how many uh, – we don't really hear about it, but, you know, I, I went to school with a lot of – growing up in, in California, I went to school with a lot of Mormons and um, – how many have ever been visited by the Jehovah's Witness? Hide. Right? Um, and they have a lot of zeal about their doctrines, and it's all about works. It's all about what they do. Uh, and although the, cr- the cross is a, uh, a good point uh, to start, um, they say this. They say this, although the cross is a good point to start, it's not enough to itself to save a man it's all about works it's about what you do it's about how many people you reach it's about being a mission it's about doing these things when we paul's saying hey god's grace is sufficient amen that's why it is called amazing grace that's that's it so therefore uh you know uh you know and i'm not here to pick on those people but you know and i i think i even alluded to them Maybe back uh, when I was talking in uh, maybe Galatians chapter 2 about not adding to the scripture. You can go back and look at that. Uh, that's, a, that's a good, uh, you can go back and listen to the podcast and find, find that exact scripture. I was like, that's a good scripture to, to add, to, to tell those people, hey, doesn't the word of God say not to add to it? Just saying, all right, all right. Uh, but look at this. So verse 3 says this, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law uh you are severed from Christ. you will be justified by the law. you have fallen away from grace. so suppose this that you're driving down sixteenth street fifty five miles an hour suppose it's me okay that that would be something that I might do by accident because i 'm from california and i 'm in a hurry no matter what all right and it, suppose you're driving down sixteenth street here in Bedford and you 're going fifty five miles an hour and you get pulled over by a policeman drew he pulls you over right? And and uh, and, uh, and he pulls you over. And when he pulls you over and you're doing 55 miles an hour, and you broke the law, right? You deserve a ticket. All right? Uh, that, imagine that. And, and imagine this. You said, oh, come on, Drew. Lighten up. Number one, we go to church together. Number two, it ain't like I robbed a bank. And it ain't like I killed somebody or murdered somebody. There are things that are worse, but, and it isn't like I'm involved in in, in some uh, illegal drugs or, hey, don't give me a ticket. This is just small, small pickles. So with that example, you know, he would say, but you broke the law. It's not just this or that. You broke the law because the law says you shouldn't be speeding down 16th Street at 55 miles an hour. The speed limit is 35, I think. Lord, help me to remember that. But again I'm reiterating this truth here and this is what Paul's saying for the Galatians if you are if you are keeping justification for keeping the law rather than accepting grace breaking the law in even one point means you're guilty of all of them that's it regardless of how many good things you've done in other areas guess what you've broken them all verse 5 says this for through the spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. So what is he saying here? Paul's saying this. All the rituals, they don't matter. They don't matter, circumcised or not. Whether you eat meat or whether you eat bird seed. Uh, As far as your relationship with the Father, that, that stuff's not, it's irrelevant. Because God's grace is sufficient. Look at this. Look at this, the next por- portion of that verse says, but only faith working through what? Only faith working through, oh, you guys are getting it, only faith working through. All right, thank you. Can I tell you this? Oftentimes, you know, for all the people who say, oh, it's got to be, you got you to work your fingers to the bone to be saved. It's, you know, and, uh, and, and listen, James and, and Paul are not arguing with each other. They both are are seeing something, but they're seeing things eye to eye. But look at this. Uh, Grace does not produce lazy, hazy Christians. It doesn't. If you understand grace, you will not be a lazy Christian. On the contrary, as James would write, true faith, what? It works. If I truly believe, it will get to work. It will get to work, James 2.17. Why? Not because of it has to be, but because I get to. God's grace has allowed me to get to work, so I'm going to get to work as a believer. I don't know about you. That's exciting to me. You're like, oh, I don't know. I just kind of like being a lazy Christian. Uh, It's like the husband who on his day off does a list of things for his wife it's not because he has to, it's because he gets to, husbands. I'm giving you some good advice. It's not because you have to, it's because you you get to because you're married to that beautiful woman whom you love and you're doing it out of love, not out of, oh, I'd rather be out on the lake. But it's it's uh, you know why? you know why husbands do that? Because they love their wife or because she told him to? One of the one of the other, I'm not sure. Um, But the same thing goes for us Christians. It should be our greatest joy to walk this faith out in God. It should. I mean, we are Christians. We should be the happiest people in the world. We are saved by grace. We should be the happiest people in the world. You know why? Because grace is what? Undeserved, unmerited favor. I don't deserve it, but God's given it to me anyway, so I should be ecstatic about it. Be like drew pulling me over going fifty five going pastor, don't do it again, thank you for your grace, drew, thank you for your grace, right all right here's what you know think about this I don't have to go to church, but I get to right that's what grace says I don't have to go to church but i but I get to I don't have to worship, but guess what I get to worship I don't have to pray, but I get to pray. I don't have to read the word, but I get to, I don't have to tithe, but I get to, I don't have to share my faith, but I get to share my faith. And when you get the perspective of grace right, it's freeing. It is so freeing. Uh, We don't have to do these things uh, to get them. But here's the reason faith works is is not to fulfill a requirement of the law. The reason faith works is not to fulfill a requirement of law, but get this, it's a response to an incredible love. God, I want to serve you. God, I want to do what's right. I don't want sin in my life. I want to be free from sin. I want to read your word because I want to know who you are. I love that. Verse 7 says this. You're running well. I'm going to underline that and put that on my treadmill. (laughs) You're running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Talking to the Galatians, Paul's talking to the Galatians here. The example here is like a runner who falls into another runner's lane on the track and causes the other runner to stumble. When I was in high school, I had uh, I, I ran track, and I, I know it doesn't look like it, but I was pretty fast at high school. It was the one thing I could, I was skinny, mini. I was like 118 pounds, soaking wet, and I could run. And my uh, my track coach and I just liked running races where there was nothing in in my way, where I could just like run you know just around the track he said I'm gonna make you uh uh I'm gonna make you a hurdler and I was like I don't know about that he said "Oh, I'm gonna make you a hurdler and I was like all right so one week I went through a week of practices and you know anybody ever run hurdles like 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 okay hurdles is not <laughs> it's all about the amount of steps you take they they figure out your stride and you got to know hey in between every hurdle you got to take one or two steps or whatever you whatever you're like probably five for me because I'm so short and, and and we were working that out and I worked on that all week and I thought I had it down well guess what that Saturday we had a track meet my first time running hurdles guess what he put me in the varsity hurdles why did he do that why did he do that and he put me out there and I remember we we I got down in the blocks, and I was getting ready to take off, and then they shot the gun off, and I took off, and someone had jumped the gun, and that just messed me up. So I went back, and I got back in the blocks, and we went to start again. I looked, they shot the gun, and I took off, and made it over the first hurdle, and when I came down, I stutter-stepped, and when I stutter-stepped, I messed up where I was supposed to be. The next hurdle, I was somewhere like this. You can guess what happened. I rolled. I rolled over into the next lane. The other guy's like, whoa, watch out, you know. And I got up, and I decided I wasn't going to be a hurdler anymore. And with my grace of God and my good attitude, I kicked every hurdle down while I walked. till I got to the end. But that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about who tripped you up, who who got in your lane, who who made you stutter step, who made you fall. And he's alluding to these Christian Jews that are coming in and saying, hey, you got to live by rules, you've got to live by regulation. So, uh, you know, here's the thing. In our lives, and uh, we should pray that God would show us things that are legalism in our life. We should ask the Holy Spirit to identify those things. Uh I'm gonna I'm gonna get there here in a minute. We're gonna get there in a couple of verses. Verse eight says this the persuasion is not from him who calls you. So um, you know, I, w- I alluded to this earlier. It's not as popular anymore, but groups knock on doors sharing a, a New Testament or a pamphlet, and all you gotta do when they do that is just um is ask them, you know, hey, what is what does the word of God say about this? And they'll be like, well, our pamphlet says, no, 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 no. Take me back to the Bible. What does, what does the Bible say? Does it say, add? does it say not to add to or take away? Uh, you, can, you can just point that to them. But uh, Paul's telling the Galatians here, check, out, check where your persuasion is from. Is it from God or is it from man? That's a good way to identify legalism. Is it from God or is it from man? Right? Now, I, I don't know about you. I, I grew up in, in Pentecostal ranks, and we had some good things and we had some bad things. We had some legalistic things. We had some things that, that, that we shouldn't have ever put o- over ourselves at times. Um, but can I tell you this? The Bible has all the answers that you'll ever need. It does. Have marriage problems? You'll find the answer here. Having issues with your finances? You'll find the answer here. Need a healing in your Bible? Or in your body, you might need it in your Bible, too. You'll, you'll find it in this book. So, and here's the thing. I, I don't know about you. This is me, oftentimes. Oftentimes, I'll go to a book, and, or a pastor will say, hey, you need to read this book. And I'll read a book. And, and man, I think there's some good things that you can learn and glean from, from man. But nothing will supersede what God has written. Get yourself your own. Revelation from the Lord, not a secondhand revelation from another writer. All right, I'm gonna challenge you. I'm gonna push you to do that. So, uh, look at this. Verse nine says this. Now he's talking about legalism here. A little leaven, leavens the whole lump. Scripture to live by, right there. A little leaven leavens the whole whole lump. I like this. He he shifts his analogy from a from sports to cooking. Paul was a man after my own heart, and it seems Paul is 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 uh, he's like me. He's really fast to shift gears. I'm talking about running now. I'm going to talk about cooking. You know, so that's I, I, me and Paul. We're right there. So, what does leaven do to a ball of dough? It makes it raise, it makes it grow, right? Right? So what it does. Uh, it just takes a little bit of leaven. Uh, so, leaven here is talking about. Legalism, and when we when we allow legalism, when we allow rules and regulations that we make, I'm not talking about what God has ordained, but when we make them or man has made them, it creeps in and it just grows. And Paul's making a great example here. The tricky thing about legalism is this. It begins with the right motives. Well, I should be doing this because... Right. We start right. Our hearts are our hearts are open and we start good. And because we care so much about our, our you know, oftentimes as, as pastors, we care so much about our congregation and our families that we put parameters around them. And I'm not saying parameters are bad, but I, we got to be careful what we are allowing into our lives. These always end in disaster because they create one of two things. And then you write these write these down. Number one, self-glorification or self-condemnation. Self-glorification or self-condemnation. Those two things. Say this. Say you get up at 5 a.m. for two years straight and pray. And on the second year, one day you sleep in. Oh, that's terrible, right? And, and, and what happens is then you start feeling condemnation. Ah, oh, Man, I missed it. I missed my prayer time. And now I feel condemned, right? So, so there's there's a, there's a good example. Look at this. It's this perpetual when we're when we're in this perpetual self glorification, self condemnation of of legalism. What happens? It's like a roller coaster. You're up one second, you're down the next. You're up one second, you're down the next. How many have ever lived like that? I've been there. Um, and and honestly, when you think about it, it and if an airplane is to leave Indianapolis and they're charting a course to go, I don't know, wherever. To L.A., and in the process, they're navigating, and they do a few degrees different, right? A few degrees in Indianapolis when they take off, it's going to mean a whole lot later on when they get towards, you know, L.A., right? L.A. is pretty big, so they'll probably still be in L.A. somehow. Um, but that's what legalism does. It, 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 we may not notice it at first, but over the long haul, it becomes disastrous, all right? Look at this, verse 10. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. So Paul's saying this. I know you're getting my point. I get it. You guys are catching my point. I'm confident in this. This is making sense to you. And this is what I'm praying right now. I hope this is making sense to y'all too, all right? Look at this. Verse 11 says this, or the second part of verse 10 says this. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So um, let every teacher... Let every kid's class teacher, let every youth teacher, let every Bible study teacher, every preacher hear what Paul's saying here to the Galatians. Look at this. Those who are causing you to be entangled in legalism will bear the responsibility for what you're doing. So as a teacher, and that's, that's why James, he would write this in James 3.1, that that when you teach, you're going to receive a greater condemnation. I, I, I alluded to that when we were talking, when we were going through James, it's like, you know, the more I teach up here, the more I preach up here, the more uh, something wrong will come out of my mouth. The more of a chance, you know what? I didn't realize it. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking about Tristan being pregnant, and I said, I think I said when Tristan told me that she that Zelie was pregnant, and I said it so fast I didn't even realize I said it. And at the end of the, at the end of my sermon, zaylee goes, "Dad, do you realize that you said that in your sermon?" I said, "I didn't even have a clue." So. FYI, Zaley is not pregnant. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is the more that I'm up here teaching, the greater the chance of me saying something that I shouldn't say. And Paul's warning to all the teachers. He's saying, hey, if you're going to teach and you're going to tell people that they have to be follow legalism, you're going to be perpetually responsible for that. All right? All um, right. Like Timothy, I like this, you know, Paul would write this to Timothy, teachers were, we need to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be, what, ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That mean, not means not too far this way or this way, but rightly dividing it right down the middle where we need to find out what it is. You know what I hate? Oh man, this would this this would my OCD would kick in. If someone wants to take a pizza and instead of cutting it down the middle, if they just cut it in an awkward phase or cut out a a, a square in the middle of it, I'd be like, "Yeah, she's looking at me like, oh, it would just drive me nuts." But we are to rightly divide, rightly divide, rightly divide the word of truth. Look at this verse eleven says this. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why I'm still being uh, why am I still being persecuted? So in, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. So look at this. So Paul's being accused of preaching circumcision here. Why then are these Judaizers or these, these people coming behind him prosecute or persecuting him? Why are they doing it? It's not circumcision, but the cross that is offending them. It's the finished work of the cross. Same goes for us today. We tell people that on the cross the price was paid and the word was done. And most people respond with, can it be that simple? Is it is it really that simple? Uh, I like how Paul takes these complicated things and he brings them down and he's like, yeah, it, it is that simple. The finished work on the cross, that's all it needed to be. Uh, we say, oh, it's, you know. It's not that simple you're, you're naive there's there's got to be more to it than that why and I talked about this last week we gravitate towards legalism we gravitate towards rules and regulations it's just in our nature um, but the cross is offensive to the religious person because they want want to get it done in their own action and their own contribution Say, I, I, you know, I want to contribute to my salvation. I want to contribute to my blessing. But the truth of the matter, however, the work of Jesus Christ does not allow that. Because so he did it. You should be like, thank you, Jesus. It's less work for me. Right? So, so look at this. Verse 12 says this. I wish for those who unsettle you... Uh, would emasculate themselves, verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only to do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Oh, I like how Paul, he's, he's like going this direction, all of a sudden he just shifts gears, all right? Um, before we were saved, we were in bondage to our own lust. I don't know about you, but I love me some me. How many like me? when you succeed how many like when you get what you want how many how many get upset when you don't get your way all right me and Jody are the only ones that are telling the truth up in here uh how many uh and and you know I mean you can raise your hand but how many have a, a past that you aren't proud of yeah I mean yeah I got a past I'm not proud of uh and and what happens in our past, we fulfilled the, the lust and our own fleshly desires, and those things took us down a path that led to destruction. Some of your destruction may have led you to jail, right? Some of your destruction may have led you to a, a failed marriage, or some of your destruction may have led you down some dark roads, right? And that happens. And, and and I like this. Sin will take you far, farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. That's the thing about sin. Sin is unforgiving. The wages of sin is the wages of sin is death. Sometimes sin causes physical death, but sin will cause spiritual death. All right, the wages of sin is death. So sin kills joy. Yep, it kills joy, sin wipes people out, it destroys families, it messes up kids, and, and it results in mental fuzziness. But I can tell you this, thank you, Jesus, for giving us freedom from sin, because we're free from all that stuff. The liberty to which we are called, and write this down if, if you're a note taker, the liberty to which we were called is not liberty to sin, but liberty from sin liberty from sin so look at this next part of this verse Woo, i like this next part can you tell all right but through love serve one another ah uh, you say hey tj i had a a, a dark path or dark past i uh, i hear what you're saying I, I'm not going to live that dark life. I'm not going to party anymore. I'm not going to fulfill my lust. Uh, so what am I going to do, TJ? And, and I say, I'm glad that you asked that question because it is very important to my little spiel tonight. Here it is. Serve one another. Serve one another. I, I, I like that. Pour yourself into people. Pour yourself into people. Uh, Get involved in talking to others who are doomed and feel like there is no hope and they're struggling. Find someone. Tell them about the love of Jesus. Tell them what Jesus did. I was in a dark pit, but God's grace brought me out. Are you struggling? Let me help you out. Let me give you some money for some food. I'm going to buy the the people behind me in the drive-thrus lunch today. I'm just going to bless them, and I, we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, maybe they need it, maybe they don't. You never know the effect that you'll have on somebody. Serving others. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to serve others. And this is what happens when we serve others. You'll discover that, that talk to, talking to people about the eternal things will, will charge you and do more for the kingdom of God than you ever thought. It's amazing. It's amazing. Can I tell you, uh, if, 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 if it's addicting to serve. It is. It's addicting to serve. Once once you get into that mode, it's hard not to serve because all you want to do is love on people, pour into people, get involved in the kingdom. And I promise you, once you get involved in the kingdom, you start pouring into people, you won't miss all that old sinful stuff. Serving will cost you time, and it will cost you energy and effort, but it's rewards already. Eternal and amazing. I talked to a young man today uh, who calls me periodically, and I was able to uh, be a mentor in this young man's life. and And he calls me, and we talk, and it's amazing to me, like from a from a I guess a, a mentor for the, up here looking down at him. He is starting to reverse that I I feel like now he's kind of mentoring me anybody know what I'm talking about and he is calling me and he's encouraging me and I'm like man this is so cool this is what it's about this is this is what it's about so and and, and today when he he called me uh, you know I I had a headache and I was was struggling I was like man do I really want to answer the phone and then and so he he I answered the phone and I began to talk to him as I began to talk to him guess what my countenance began to raise and he began to speak faith into me, and he began to just just love on me. and I, I love that. I don't know about you, but he was, you know what he was doing? Serving others. Serving others. So look at this. Verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Get this. Get ready. Get ready. Everyone, you ready for this? You're about to become an Old Testament scholar. Everyone in here is going to be an Old Testament scholar. <laughs> right here, right now. Buckle up, everyone. Buckle up. Here we go. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love is one word that encapsulates or it sums up the entire law. Love. Everyone say love. God is. Oh, God's so good. Not legalism, but, oh, I like it. You're getting it. Verse 15 says this. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, you are not consumed by one another. Um, you ought to underline this in your Bible. If you, if you don't have that in your Bible, you, you, when, you, when you want to talk about someone, when you want to be angry at someone, you should go here, Galatians 5, uh, 15 and look at that verse, and, and it's a good reminder for you. It's a good reminder for me. Uh, you know, what if I believe this? Uh, what if I believe every time we put someone down or we made snide remarks? Anybody ever made snide remarks? My sister was pretty, pretty. She was a, a smart aleck. She was, she was fast, and and her little snide remarks got her in a lot of trouble with my parents. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right, uh, your your snide remarks. Some of you are like my kids. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, our snide remarks. Or what about this? When you roll your eyes to someone's response, we're going to have your food out in a minute. Oh, sure you are. It's been 20 minutes. Right? Roll your eyes to someone's response. Uh, sooner than later, we'll be hurt by the same degree that we're putting out. (laughs) Oh, this is rich. I don't know about you. I need this in my life. Uh, I do. Uh, Scripture says flat out here that if we devour and we bite another. Uh, to take heed because we'll be consumed by another. If I went over and I was like, Don Flynn, and I was just chewing him up one side out the other, I would never do that because I love Don. Guess what? I would probably leave here and I would go home and Tristan would probably be like, right? On the other hand, the more grace-oriented you are, the more loving you'll be. When I give someone grace, guess what? The more loving I'm, I'm going to receive from people. Luke chapter 6, verse 38 says this. Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure. We like this verse. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will be put into your lap for the measure that you use it will be measured back to you. I'm going to show you something here. I'm going to show you something about this scripture. Let's put this verse in context. Go back one verse. One verse. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. So the amount of grace that you give is the amount of grace that you receive. The amount of love that you give is the amount of love that you will receive. Not my words. Those are Jesus' words. I love that. I've heard a lot of good preachers use that verse to take up an offering. And I think it works in a lot of different areas. I think it, you know, it, the law is simply this. This is God's principle. You reap what you sow. Sow grace sparingly. Sow love sparingly and say, hey, I'm just going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they're having a bad day. So the next portion of this, this, this chapter, and I'm pumped about this portion. I'm going to hopefully get through it here, is, is this. And if you need a subheading, it's keep in step with the spirit. Verse 16 says this. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let me read that again. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How many struggle sometimes with your flesh? Maybe you have a bad attitude. Maybe you're not so nice. Maybe you should be a little more patient with your kids, or, you know, things don't go your way. But Paul here, he's speaking of liberty. The key is not not to suppress the flesh. The key is to surrender to the spirit there's a difference it's not to suppress my flesh it's not for me to say well i shouldn't do this and this and that's what laws and rituals do but it's basically to say hey lord i surrender to your spirit legal legalism says deal with the flesh deal with it deal with it through pain deal deal with it through agony you you remember the story of martin luther before he went and and did the 95 thesis and, and and nailed them to the to the to the church there he was beating himself Try to get penance from the from the Lord. It's rituals, it's rules, it's regulations. So Paul's saying here: there's a much better way to deal with the flesh. Just walk in the Spirit. A Simple way to do this is to uh, is is be enraptured with goodness of, with the goodness of God. How many are thankful for the goodness of God? Man, I couldn't d- go a day without it. Whether it be some practical expression of love, a moment of intercession for someone, an encouraging word to share, or a merciful act. You know, one of the things, and I've, I've said this in the pulpit, but um, it's crazy. And I've I i I've always kind of lived this out in my life, but when God puts someone on my mind, God puts someone on my heart, you know what I do? I text them or I call them. I just, I I I do my best to do it, and... You would be surprised, you would be surprised how many times that when, when that happens, that that person texts me and says, man, I, you, you made my day. You, you, I, I just needed that. I just needed that little bit of a push today. Thank you for doing that. So you know what that is? It's, that's, that's allowing the spirit to use you. Serve others. Bless others. Are you, are you patting yourself on the back? No, I'm just a, I'm just a vessel saying, God, use me how, how you see fit. Look at this. Verse 17 says this. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Um, well, there's a lot to say right here in this little, little bit of, of scripture here. If you're trying to overcome the flesh in your own ability, you're going to fail miserably. You just can't. You're, your own self, you'll never do it within your own power, no matter how many resolutions you make at the beginning of the year. Right? Uh, no matter uh, how many nice quotes you put on your fridge. You're going to fail. You're going to mess up. The fact is, you'll never overcome the pull of the flesh on your own. But look at this. And the reason we know this, Matthew twenty six forty one, uh, Jesus would say this, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is Paul would say it like this, I know to do right, but I don't. I know what I should be doing, but I, I still mess up, and I know what I shouldn't be doing, and guess what? I do those things. Uh, you know, I, I like this example. It's kind of like a, a white dog and a black dog, and the, the white dog representing your spirit man, and the black dog representing uh, your fleshly man, and, and they're at a war with each other, and they're, they're fighting each other, and there's this thing going on. And you know what I found out? In my own personal life, when when that's going on, which which dog is gonna win? I can tell you, the one that you feed. The one that you feed. If you're feeding your spirit, man, if you're if you're feeding the word, if you're praying to the Lord, if you're attending service, if you're if you're worshiping and you're doing those things and you're feeding your man, it's going to devour the flesh. It's gonna help supra- it's gonna bring it down. But if you're feeding your flesh why when you get out of church for a moment, it's easy to stay out of church. You guys are here on a Wednesday night, so no, you guys are all good. All right, you guys were all worried, weren't you? All right, right, verse 18 says this. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I don't know about you, I I love this word, but, right here says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Gaining victory over the flesh by keeping the law is futile in in our own ability. But if we're led by the spirit, we're not under the law theologically or practically. Guess what? We're free. When we're led by the spirit, we are free. Everyone say, I'm free." free. Us Americans love our freedom, right? The spirit of God will not lead you into sin. Oh, that, that should have blown all your minds. The Spirit of God will not lead you into sin. The Spirit of God will not lead you into temptation, but will help you find a way out. When we live in freedom, the Spirit indeed in us will be free. Look at the 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, Oh, if I'm walking in the Spirit, He's there. Guess what? That means I'm in You know, William Wallace would be all over this one, right? Freedom, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. All right, verse 19 says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Uh, Time out. You guys might want to brace for impact on this, this next portion of scripture, all right? Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity. So here's the... Paul gives us here a litmus test of things to see if we're walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. He gives us a few things here. Sexual immorality, let me give you an example. Adultery, fornication, lustful thoughts. Jesus said if you've thought of a woman, you've already committed adultery in your heart. All right, not my words, those are Jesus' words. So so those things, so sexual immorality. Impurity here is speaking of the impurity of thought and life. How are your thoughts? Are they good? Are they bad? Are they vulgar? Are they lustful? Are they hateful? Are they mean-spirited? Are they resentful? Are they revenge-oriented? I don't know about you. God, help my thought process and help my life, help my motives to be pure and help my life to be pure, Lord. Look at this next one, sensuality. The King James Version says lasciviousness. And that. That speaks of uh, licentiousness or literally doing things without a license. Some say, I don't, need a, I don't need a license. I just need love, right? Tell me how that works out for you. Well, here's what I'll tell you. It's not a license from the county that makes you legal with the Lord. It's the covenant between you and God and your spouse. That was good. All right. Uh, so look at this next one. Idolatry. Everyone say idolatry. Anything that I place before God in my life. One of the things I, I at silver linings I can say about COVID is it it made me reevaluate some things in my life that I that I realized I didn't need. Um, you know, I I used to really 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 watch sports like the NFL and. Major League Baseball. And I I love those things. There's nothing wrong with those things. Nothing wrong with those things when they're put in the right order of things. But when I make those things greater than my relationship with the Lord, it's called idolatry. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll use a different example. Some of the men are like, well, that's just kind of a mean example. Why are you picking on me? I like sports. I like golf. That's okay. You can like those things. Just love Jesus more. Follow Jesus more. Take time. As much time as you spend on the golf course, spend with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus on the golf course. You know? Uh, but, but some of us have also put our career over our relationship with the Lord. If I can just do one more job. If I, and your time is so swallowed up that church has become less and less of a priority and less and less of a need in your life. That's called... Here's another one, and, and, you know, this is a tough one, too, and uh, all of us married people need to watch this one. Sometimes we put our spouse before the Lord. God gave you your spouse, and one thing I know um, about idolatry is this. It, it's subtle. It sneaks in really, really quietly, and you don't even realize it's happening until uh, oftentimes we don't even see it until it gets a little bit further. So the next portion of this says sorcery. Um, the King James Version actually says witchcraft, witchcraft, sorcery. And the Greek word for witchcraft here is pharmakia, okay? You guys want to guess where we get that wor- w- our word pharmacy from? Oh, well, some of you are like, oh, I knew it, <laughs> right? Some of you are like, I knew it, right? Um, and that's not what I'm referring to. But can I tell you, pharmakia, it refers to to drugs. I'm going to show you something here. This, this was... was mind-boggling to me we live in a world that is addicted to pills and illegal drugs right we, we you know uh oftentimes i mean the street value of some of the even the the legal drugs they, they can get them you know people will fulfill a uh not a subscription a prescription from a doctor and then they'll go sell those drugs on the street right because people have these needs so pharmacia. so talking about that the drugs and pills and things in our life are destroying our everyday life. People's lives, people's marriages, people's families are being destroyed by drugs. Look at this. In Paul's days, in his day, those who did witchcraft would brew potions that were, that were just kind of like hallucinogenics. And they would take those things and they would do that. Sounds like what we are dealing with today, right? Maybe just a little bit different, maybe not quite as hocus-pocus, but, but people are brewing things that are making people their minds alter. The scripture says that's like witchcraft. Check this out. Uh, it's no wonder that, that the drug culture and the occult remain linked together today. You can do a little study on that. It, it kind of blew my mind. Look at this, the next part. En- en- enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Let's just skip over that one, right? We don't want to get, we're okay with all the other ones, but you start talking about fits of anger and, and those things, right? In 1994, uh, a 16 year old boy, and I think his name was Jeremy, uh, he got angry on the golf course and he hit a bench with his golf club, and the golf club broke, coming back and striking his pulmonary vein, and he bled to death right there on the golf course. Out of a fit of anger for something that really didn't matter, right? Um, you say, "Well, that's a really bad story. Well, I, it is. But, but that's just proof to you that your anger can really hurt you. Right? Your anger can really hurt you. Don't lose your temper. Because if you lose your temper, it's going to, it, it will break your heart in one way or another. Have you ever lost your temper with your kids? And then they looked at you with that look like, what did, what did I do? And you're like. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said that. And this is what Paul's talking about. I like this cuz this stuff's super applicable. This is this is great. Uh and, and and maybe you've been so mad that you could feel your blood boil. Some of you're like, "Oh, he's talking to me right now." Anybody ever been that mad? You ever seen someone that's mad? You could see their blood boiling, like their face is all red, right? You know they're mad. You can see their blood pressure rising, right? I I've seen those people. You can see their veins popping out in their neck. You're like, "Calm down, brother." Right? But this is what we need to do. Maybe when we feel anger welling up, maybe we just need to say, hey, I need to just step away from this for a moment. Gather my thoughts. Lord, help me. Help me here. Help me here. Help me to say the, the right thing. Strife, closely re- related to wrath, means to be anta- antagonistic. This reminds me of my son Wyatt and Novak. Wyatt will come in, and he'll start antagonizing Novak. You know why? Because He's bigger. Novak will be sitting on the couch watching TV, doing what he loves to do. And he'll be sitting there, and Wyatt will come in and just lay on him. Wyatt's not a, not a little guy. And Novak will be like, ah! So we'll hear him yelling, and then we'll come out of the, you know, we'll come and, and, and we're like, what's going on? And Novak will be like, Wyatt's on me, he hurt me. And he's over the top, right? And Wyatt's like, I was just trying to give him a hug. And I'm like, he doesn't sound like that. He'd be like, Dad, I don't sound like that. Uh, but I, we tell White all the time. We say, and Wyatt's like, why are you guys getting mad at me? I said, because you're antagonizing him. Paul's saying here, hey, look at this, rivalries. Uh, rivalry uh, oftentimes comes out of comparison, and comparison always leads to frustration. I'm not good enough, I, I can't add up to enough, I can't, it forces us uh, in our own flesh to perform instead of being transformed. Look at this next one, dissensions and, and divisions, uh, seditions, or uh, the, the King James Version says seditions or, or heresies. And heresy, uh, you know, uh, when we, we talk about heresy, something that's con- contrary to the, the written word of God and what it says, when people teach those things, it causes division, division. Uh, why is heresy uh, a manif- manifestation of the flesh? It takes our flesh to say, look what I found. Look what I found in Scripture. Look what I read in the Dead Sea Scrolls. I am so much better than you. I'm so much smarter than you. Right? And, and, and so that, 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 uh, we have insight to the true Jesus. And so heresy always it arises out of someone wanting attention and wanting to build a movement out of their flesh. Look at this. Envy. Drunkenness, orgies. The language was strong here. The language is strong here, but it's intentional for us to stop and think about this. The King James Version says reveling, which means partying. Uh, You know, the word envy uh, means uh, we want what someone else has, right? I, I, I I want what they have, whether it be a job, a car, a house, a spouse, whatever. Envy is dangerous, Look at this. I like this. Paul would write this in Philippians chapter 4 that he learned to be content in all situ, in all and any situations. And I love that. Contentment will drive away envy. When you're content with what you have, you won't worry about what you don't have. All right, drunkenness. How many know that drunkenness leads to bad choices? I rarely, rarely, rarely have ever heard someone who had come out of a drunken stupor go, Well, I think I did pretty good last night. But you know what I have heard is, I made some terrible, terrible decisions last night. And I don't even know what they are. Drunkenness. It leads to bad, bad choices. So, and, and obviously, you know, orgies are, are terrible. You know this? I can tell you this. So I'm going to make sure we don't have any young ears in here. God designed sex. It's his, it's his design. The flesh... Takes it the wrong direction. God designed sex between a man and a woman to to be in a covenant. And he said, hey, here it is. It's right here. There it is. It's in the fireplace. Keep it in the fireplace. You can make stoke that thing as hot as you want, but keep it in the fireplace. And that's what God designed. So, so look at this. And look at this. I like how he finishes this. And all things like these. Guess what? He doesn't give you. This isn't the end-all, be-all list. He's saying just things like these. He just kind of gives you, this is open-ended here. You know what that tells me? Let the Holy Spirit lead and guide you. There may be other things that are not on this list that the Holy Spirit can reveal to you and through you. I like that. The flesh is selfish, the Spirit is giving. Look at this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know why? Because you're doing things of the flesh and you are sinning. Oh, man, that's a pretty bold statement. It is what it is. Paul's saying this. Don't get involved in sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He would say these. He said this before in 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 9, and Ephesians 5, 5, and Colossians 3, 6. And you say, oh, that's protest, TJ. Or you say, hey, that, I protest. That's legalism, TJ. Can I tell you this? It's not legalism. It's revelation. It's what Paul's saying here. It's not legalism. It's revelation. The works of the flesh in one's life reveal an absence of a relationship with God. For fulfilling these things, guess what? There's an absence of the spirit of God that should be leading us in our lives. He's talking To the person who perpetually, he's not speaking to those who struggle with these things. We've all had struggles, right? We've all had our our downfalls with these things. He's He's not beating you up with this, but he's talking to the person who perpetually, habitually practices these things arrogantly, stubbornly, with no desire to be set free from them. That's who he's talking to. Wise is the man or woman who looks at Paul's words at face value and says, Lord, forgive me. I need your help. Look at this, verse 22. Oh, it's about to get good. Everyone looks and never and I'm glad we got through all that. Verse 22 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Jody, can you help me? Can, can you get that, that green thing right there and bring it to me? It's, it's right there on the, on the ledge, yeah. Uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So notice here, the verbiage here, the fruit of the Spirit is singular. It says the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. Fruit, one. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It all stems from love. Okay? Fruit of the Spirit is love. And so it's, it's not fruits. It's fruit. And love is the fruit of the Spirit. So, and I'm not going to break all these down. Everyone said, amen. Right? Uh, but all of these things are all a part of love. Uh, it's, it's like this, this apple. I grabbed one of the apples from our house. And it, it's probably not as fresh as it should be. Um, it's like this apple. Inside this apple... There are seeds, right? And if we were to plant some of these seeds, we could probably have another apple tree, right? So inside of this apple, if this is love, inside of this apple is what? Peace, patience, joy, kindness, goodness, right? Uh, uh, I know that's a simple example, but it's a good example. I'm really wanting to just take a bite out of this apple right now. so what is the purpose of the fruit? Now, get this, and you, you, for you note takers, it, the purpose of fruit in my life is not for me to enjoy, but for someone else to enjoy. Right? The purpose of this fruit that is produced by walking in the spirit is not for me to enjoy, it's for someone else to enjoy. So check this out. So I'm a tree. Help me out, Mike Baker. Mike Baker, come on. I'm a tree, right? Here I am. And the Lord has allowed me to produce this fruit in my life. So Mike Baker is having a a bad day. And he comes and he says, there's a little bit of joy. You can have that apple if you want. I I would wash it first. I don't know where it's been exactly. So (laughs) thank you for doing that. Do you catch my point? you catch my drift? An apple tree never looks at itself and says, I'm going to eat that apple. The apple tree just produces fruit. Everything else to just come and enjoy. You know what my life is as a Christian? Your life is as a Christian? I'll go back to verse 13. Serve others. Serve others in love. Oh, you're having a bad day? I got some fruit over here. This might help you out. Right? I love that. I I, I think that's so freeing. But look at this. And here's the secret to producing fruit in your life. You want to know what the secret is? Too bad. You're going to find out. Here we go. You never see a fruit tree. I have never seen a fruit tree laboring to make fruit. I don't, you don't see them going, oh, right? They just do it naturally. It just pops up one day. It may take three, four years when you plant a tree before it produces fruit, but eventually it will produce fruit. And it's so cool when you see a fruit tree. I had, we had orange trees in, in California and tangerine trees, and it was so cool. It's like, Because it's my orange, right? Um, But you never see a fruit tree laboring to produce fruit. And here's the reason why. Jesus does a great example of this in John 15, 4. Look at this. He says this. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. You want to know the secret to bearing fruit? Abide. Simply abide. You want to produce fruit to help others? Abide in Jesus. Walk in the spirit. Let him lead and let him guide you. you and here's the thing. You, you can't do it on yourself. I, you can't do it by yourself. Uh, the secret is just hang in there with Jesus. Hang in there with Jesus. Some of you look at your neighbor and say, hang in there with Jesus. We're almost done. Uh so not when we produce love, it's not love for me to eat, but it's love that will serve someone else. I love that. Look at this. Verse 24 says this. We're almost done, I promise. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Um, this is a terrible segue. Uh, please don't take this the wrong way. There are many ways to execute yourself. We went from fruit of the spirit to killing yourself. There are many ways to execute yourself. Uh, but you know, right? Because you're like, you can hang yourself, you can shoot yourself, you can jump off a building, and you're like, TJ, why are you saying this? This is so weird because I'm just weird. Um, but listen, you cannot crucify yourself. You cannot do it. So what's your, what's your point? If if I pound one nail into this hand and I pound a nail into my, guess what? I still got a free hand. I cannot crucify myself. What what's your point? What do you mean? Paul said this powerfully and beautifully in Romans chapter 6, verse 6. He said this We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Look at this. Jump down to verse 11. He, he goes on further to say So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in uh, Christ Jesus. So we don't have to crucify ourselves. Our sin nature already died on the cross with Jesus. That's it. I love that. How many are thankful for that? Uh, Therefore, uh, the gossip, the pills, the anger, the bottle, the temptation, the things that have dominated our lives, they no longer have control over us because Jesus took care of it on the cross. We who are in Christ have already been crucified, said Paul, not should be, not better be, have been, have been, past tense, the work is done. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I love this verse. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep it. Walking in the Spirit means doing what the Lord tells you and do it and and doing it moment by moment. And uh, and like I said earlier, it could be the Lord speaking to you to make a phone call, text somebody, encourage somebody today, love on somebody today. Uh, Stepping away to pray for five minutes. Maybe it's cutting your neighbor's lawn. Like, Lord, let that one skip past me. I don't want to have to do that one, right? But it's exciting and it's impactful. When we stay in step with the spirit, every day is a new day. You know why I think Paul's life was so amazing? And so uh, we look at it it was just wonderful because he just allowed God to direct his steps. Oh, Lord, you want me to go here? Okay. Lord, you want me to go here? Okay. Lord, I'll do it. I love that. Look at this, verse 26, and we're almost done. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, oh, we're almost done. Remember, long-suffering is one of the, okay, I'm just, (laughs) let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And this is how Paul would end this chapter. Those who live in legalism desire vain glory. Look how many people I've witnessed to. Look how many Hours I prayed, and look what I do and what I don't do. When legalism creeps in slowly in our lives, the problem is vainglory, with vainglory is it's never enough. We want more and more and more, and it becomes about us and less about him. And he would just warn us here, don't get caught up in legalism. Saints, don't get caught up in legalism. Don't don't, don't be the one who competes with others or with people. Instead, Paul's saying this, be the one that completes others. Serve others. Love others. Let's bow our heads. God, I thank you for this word tonight. God, it was just a, a great word. God, I, I pray, Lord, that it would go forth. God, I pray, Lord, that seeds would be planted in our hearts. God, that lives would forever be changed. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to walk in freedom. God, not stuck not stuck in ritualisms and not stuck in, in uh, Lord, uh, just the things, Lord, that, that we feel like that we have to do. But, God, we've been set free by grace. God, not grace to sin, but free from sin. God, you've given us grace to be free from sin. God, I ask, Lord, that in our lives, God, as a church and as a people, Lord, that the fruit of the Spirit, love, would, would come from us. Lord, that it, it would just that it would grow, God, as we abide in you, God, as we grow in you, God, as we just uh, are doing what we know to do, God, I pray, Lord, that fruit would come from our lives, God, that could feed hungry and hurting souls, God, that we could send some joy to somebody, God, that we could send some peace to somebody, God, I, I pray, Lord, that you would use us as a body, God, to touch our communities and to love on them, God, and to, to show them the way to the cross, God, I ask, Lord, that you would be with us this week, give us strength Cover us under your grace. Lord, we'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. And everyone said, amen. You are dismissed.